This is Docs Outside the Box, Episode 7. Welcome to Docs Outside the Box Podcast. This is your official show, looking inside the minds of cutting-edge and innovative doctors. Think you'll find these stories in any medical textbook? Sorry, you're getting real-life insight from men and women pushing the envelope beyond medicine. Ordinary doctors doing extraordinary things. Let's start now with your host, Dr. Nee Darko. Welcome back to another episode of Docs Outside the Box. I am your host, Dr. Nee Darko. And by the time you hear this episode, 4th of July would have already come and gone. Um, Here in the Darko household, we went down to... New Jersey and spent some time with the family. We had barbecue. We did all the things that families normally do during the 4th of July weekend. Um, So I'm really grateful for that. But other things that you will hear about also during this time is Kevin Durant just signed with the Golden State Warriors, which I'm completely shocked about. And I know this is a medical career type podcast, but anybody who's in my inner circle knows I am a basketball junkie, diehard Knicks fan. So I'm completely shocked about Kevin Durant signing with the Golden State Warriors. Um, But also at the same time, I got to give props to the Cleveland Cavaliers for winning a championship to LeBron James and the Cavaliers. As you all know, um, there are some castaways from the New York Knicks on the team, on the Cleveland Cavaliers, that is. That's uh, Timothy Mozgov, J.R. Smith, who went to my high school, as well as Tristan Thompson, who went to my high school. So congratulations on an epic championship run an epic game seven. Um, But just want to let you Cleveland Cavaliers fans know that the New York Knicks are coming. We got D Rose. Just be careful. And you know, Russell Westbrook is out there. Watch your back. So, (laughs) but obviously the show is not about basketball. It's not about sports. Uh, The show is about docs who are living outside the box. So let's bring it all back. I want to talk about this episode where I get a chance to talk with Dr. Julian Fahm, who's the chief medical officer as well as founder of Rubicon MD. Dr. Julian has merged his experience as a nephrologist with his passion to, to innovate. He truly is living outside the box. And what I mean by that is he has a keen eye of e-health, EMR systems, just the role that technology plays in healthcare and the possibilities that can occur because of that. And with that, he's created Rubicon MD, um, which is a technology platform that connects primary care physicians to specialists, all the while reducing unnecessary visits, unnecessary referrals, unnecessary duplicate tests. So for example, let's say you go in to see your physician. Let's say you go in because you've had this chronic back pain. You know, in the back of your head that he's probably going to refer you to a specialist But anyhow, you go, you see him, you let him know what's going on. He may want to run some tests, but also at the same time, he's going to eventually send you to a specialist. So rather than run the same test and then a couple of weeks later, send you to go see a specialist who's going to run the same test again, or even the same x-rays, what he can do or what Rubicon MD allows the the primary physician to do is connect with a subspecialist real time, send all of the information, including chief complaint to the specialist, and he's able to get back to the primary care doctor literally in real time, which helps reduce time, helps reduce unnecessary referrals. You know the deal. So for me, I I think this is amazing, not just for what Rubicon MD can do uh, between primary care physicians and and subspecialists, but I'm really excited about 
something like this being taken over to third world countries where subspecialty, you know, care is, is very rare. So in this episode, some things that I want you to pick up on are the steps that he took to transition from being a Harvard academic appointment nephrologies, nephrologist to being a founder of two startup companies. How important is it to be around like-minded physicians? I, you know, the entire episode, I, I threw him some softballs. So I threw a, a fastball to swing at, and this one is going to be hard. So I'm going to ask him, what is it that he finds most rewarding? Being a chief medical officer of his own startup, being a nephrologist, or doing volunteer work uh, in Vietnam? Also, you're going to learn what's his advice for docs like you and I who want to live outside the box. And he even shares um, his rituals, his techniques behind meditation um, that I think we all can learn from. And it all is, obviously, we're going to learn why he's not just a doc. So look, without further ado, let's get on with the episode. Okay, Dr. Fahm, welcome to Docs Outside the Box. I am extremely excited to have you on the show. Can you, Before we get started on the show, can you tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Um, yes, um, I am a nephrologist. Um, I have done what many uh, have done uh, in the past, which is uh, essentially uh, uh, live uh, almost a full life uh, in academia. Uh, uh, spent many years uh, in training um, as a medical student, as a resident, as a chief resident, uh, then as a fellow in nephrology, um, ended up in uh, Boston, uh, where I uh, eventually joined the faculty at um, Harvard Medical School. Um, and uh, over the past uh, five years, got really interested in uh, the world of startups and uh, uh, have since left academia in order to immerse myself and, uh, and build a company. Uh, so I am now the chief medical officer and founder of Rubicon MD. Uh, I've started a few other projects slash companies in the past as well. Um, and uh, I'm excited to, uh, to be on this podcast. Excited to have you on. Now, how long, you said that you've left academia. How long has it been since you left uh, practicing medicine? Um, I left in June uh, 2014. Um, I did not completely leave the practice of medicine. I think it's something that's uh, too important to me. So I continue to moonlight uh, one weekend a month and a couple, ah. couple evenings a uh, a couple evenings a month uh, in uh, community health centers and, and uh, I cover for private practice. Uh, so I keep that at a minimum um, and focus the rest of my time and attention to, uh, uh, to the startup. Moonlighting also, as I like to call it, the 1099 life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, listen, on, on your page, um, there's a, you have your own about me type page, but it's your own page that describes everything about you. Um, but on there, it states you are only as important as the impact you have on others. Can you explain that further to us? What, the, what does that mean to you? Ah, yes. Uh, it's, uh, it's funny. A lot of people um, ask me about this and ask me where it came from, but I try to look it up uh, and I haven't found anybody who said that. So uh, technically, trademark I, it. Te- technically <laughs> I've coined it. So uh, yes, yeah, trademark it. So, <laughs> so what it means really is that um, um, I've really been uh, inspired by a lot of phenomenal people um, through my life. And uh, I feel like um, I have been very blessed um, uh, through my um, education and training uh, and mentorship and uh, uh, realize that um, um, there's a lot that can, uh, I can offer the world. And uh, 
this is really what this sentence means to me is that um, I am really doing things so I can have a greater impact on others. Hmm. It's something that I live by. Absolutely. Now, the question before this last one that you answered, you said that you stepped away full time from medicine in a, around 2014. Most people who do take a step away from medicine and enter into the moonlighting life or, you know, they go and become an entrepreneur, most of them don't really step into becoming a CEO or a founder of a big startup. Take us through the process. We want to be a fly on the wall of how you literally went from, you know, doing dialysis and taking care of renal failure patients to now you're the CEO of a startup. Yeah. So technically, I'm a, I'm a chief medical officer. I am the founder okay. of Rubicon MD, but I'm one of the three founders when I'm a chief medical officer. Um, yeah. You know, I, there, unfortunately, there um, wasn't a, a roadmap for me to do this. Uh, and um, as any entrepreneur would tell you, um, they make uh, things work for them. Uh, so that's what I did. I, uh, I, I was a fellow, um, uh, did translational research, uh, was applying for grants, uh, was doing pretty well, um, had some really interesting projects uh, that um, were moving forward. Um, but uh, I stumbled upon uh, the, the, the concept of uh, hackathons uh, around 2010 hmm. or so. Uh, this was somewhat of a new thing, at least in, in the Boston area. And this was, in fact, uh, MIT's uh, second ever um, hacking medicine event. And so I was very inspired by um, by the people that I saw there and by the, the can, culture. Can you, explain what, can you explain what that is, a hackathon? Yeah, hackathons are uh, events where they bring people together uh, around various themes um, in this particular uh, uh, hackathon it's uh, hacking medicine so obviously around healthcare and so they bring uh, physicians uh, researchers uh, designers business people engineers put them in a room and organically um, try to um, either connect them with each other or have them connect with each other and, and form teams and the mm-hmm. uh, people will uh, go around and pitch their ideas and over time, uh, organically, teams will form. And um, over the course of, say, 48 hours or 72 hours, they will try to build something and they will try to pitch it at the end of the uh, hackath- uh, hackathon. And uh, sometimes you win something. Sometimes it's just street cred. Uh, but it's, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really fun event uh, when you put uh, builders together. Um, and so um, I was maybe one of three physicians uh, that day. Surprisingly, uh, and I remember this, this was six, seven years ago. And, um, and, uh, uh, but I really uh, fell in love uh, with, with that, the, the culture and, and the process and uh, thought to myself, you know, there's got to be a way to build, uh, to bring this, uh, this process into uh, the hospital system where I see a lot of my colleagues come up with really good ideas, but um, you know, not having resources or or access to, uh, uh, to the right folks to, to build things uh, in an innovative way. And so I did just that. I, um, um, I went to my division chief and said, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I'm trying to carve a path for myself as a, uh, as a faculty. Um, you know, I'm known for XYZ in the field of nephrology, but I'm also really passionate about innovation. And I think that's the future of medicine. We have to innovate in the same way that we do research uh, it's not too different from doing 
basic science research or translational research, you, I, I, I look at um, what you call e-health or, or digital health as just another form of research using technology. So my division chief said, sure, go ahead. He gave me a little bit of space. And then I kind of hustled my way. I, uh, mm. I uh, uh, sent out a, um, a uh, RFP. Um, uh, informal and uh, um, brought, recruited three uh, engineers. Uh, they just happened to uh, to be from from France, and uh, they came to the U.S. to Boston for a short period of time, uh, four months, and uh, we built this hack team. Um, we called it uh, Reno Rapid Health Innovation, and the whole idea was to build prototypes um, to take. Um, ideas from people who uh, wanted to pitch us something, um, help um, generate uh, somewhat of a, a minimal viable product or prototype, um, help them with uh, the context of healthcare and uh, somewhat of a, a business plan, and then uh, let them uh, go to the next phase, which would be to pitch that to a startup accelerator or to a startup competition, try to uh, garner more uh, interest, uh, get their own traction. Um, and uh, and go onward to uh, to build a startup. So we we, we, we looked at ourselves as a um, as a, a support or a booster for um, uh, for these ideas at a very very early stage. And so uh, based on that, um, I, I became very interested in um, innovation in general and how do you get something from from just an idea to uh, uh, to a true business. And I realized that what I lacked was knowledge of business. And mm-hmm. um, when I uh, uh, met my co-founders, Gil and Carlos, it was actually at a hackathon. Uh, also at MIT, uh, Gil was pitching somewhat of a similar idea. Um, I was mentoring at the hackathon, just walking around from tables to tables. I didn't particularly like the idea that he was pitching at the time, but um, I really liked the group. Uh, and then Gil called me a few few days later, um, also called Carlos. We started talking. And I think I thought it was worth it. I really liked them. I thought they were smart. But more importantly, I think coming as a um, coming in as a physician, for me, what, what appealed to me is that there was a great opportunity to learn uh, from people who think from a business uh, 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 mindset. Uh, it has to be a, a whole complete different train of thought it is completely different this is something yeah. and over the journey over the past uh three four years uh that rubicon md has has existed it's been a an incredible learning experience for me uh to see and to observe and to connect with with people who who, who look at things slightly differently than how we are trained as clinicians and so um uh at the time uh we uh, we decided to to build this team. It was just the three of us. We just had an idea. Uh, it wasn't even what Rubicon MD uh, is today. Uh, we participated in another hackathon. I told my um, my uh, division chief that I wanted to uh, somewhat tweak my uh, my hours, and uh, luckily he was very <laughs> no, he was very very open about that. And uh, so what I ended up doing was you've got an amazing section for <laughs> division chief. I mean, he's completely open to all these different things. Yeah, uh, he was he was. So what what I told him was that I wanted to spend less time um, at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and uh, I was going to compensate uh, uh, that with a uh, part time. Um, uh, position at this private practice, and that helped me uh, bring in a little bit 
extra salary because you know in, in academia they don't pay you as much um, oh, so he yeah. he was okay with that. Uh, you know, you, you you will see once once you get to that stage, especially when you are in a uh, in a, a big academic system. Um, there's actually you, you you have to survive by grants. Um, there's very typically there's there's very little uh, clinical workload to justify a salary, and so by minimizing my already low uh, clinical workload and maximizing uh, my private practice clinical workload, that was able to bring in. A higher salary over time, um, and I did this for about six to nine months or so. Um, you know, built up a little bit of uh, of, of cash uh, on top of what I had saved in the past, and this allowed me to uh, to make more of a, uh, a complete leap into Rubicon MD once it was ready. and And uh, it, it took a while for Rubicon MD to get off the ground as well. Uh, but so well. Well, just before we get too much into Rubicon, tell, I mean, I think that's really fascinating. What is Rubicon MD? Can you tell the audience, um, describe the, the company to us, please? Yeah, so Rubicon MD is what's called an e-consult platform or an electronic consult platform. Um, it's a platform, a, a, a technology that helps primary care providers, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, essentially people who are um, in a setting where they are providing care uh, either to the indigent um, or to a safety net institution or to uh, to patients in the community and may not have uh, full access to uh, a large and deep network of specialists. Um, so what we wanted to build was a technology that would replace uh, the informal curbside consult. Um, and the idea was that a provider could go on the platform, um, upload any uh, images or data, uh, only the things that that are relevant and then select a specialty. And what Rubicon does, uh, Rubicon MD does on the back end is to route this to our network of specialists um, uh, located all over the country. And the specialists would uh, respond within a few hours and get paid a small honorarium for their time. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So this is all real time. um, And how, how quickly um, would you be able to get an answer? For example, a primary care doctor has a patient who comes in, and he's not sure if he needs to send to a specialist. Um, so he uploads the information to Rubicon uh-huh. MD and would get an answer back in a couple hours. Exactly. So it's an asynchronous model. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the, the reality, and, and this is somewhat counterintuitive to people who, who, don't, who don't practice medicine, but, but the reality is that medicine is very asynchronous, right? Um, if you put yourself as a patient and you go see your own PCP, um, you'll see them, they'll examine you. They're probably thinking about whatever finding uh, they, they saw. Uh, and then they'll send you home and, and draw some labs. And the labs don't come back until several hours later anyways. And you're long gone by then. And that's when um, a lot of times uh, primary care provi- providers struggle. Um, something came back and looks a little bit unusual. Um, and it didn't fit the physical exam that they found. Um, not, you know, I, I don't want to say rarely because it does happen sometimes. Um, but um, the, I, I, the majority of the time, um, Rubicon MD uh, uh, is most um, efficacious or, or effective in those types of situations where you have uh, something ambiguous or you're hesitating between two pathways of care uh, mm-hmm. and you just want to get a little bit of reassurance from a, a specialist or you want to uh, get a specialist to, uh, to uh, help you 
uh, with uh, some guidance on how they would uh, how to best proceed next uh, for the management of that patient. Sometimes, though, you are just in a setting where you don't have access to a specialist, like in a, in a rural area where you need to Absolutely. have um, access to a hand surgeon. And so, right, all, right. all of a sudden, through Beacon MT, you can actually uh, all you need to do with them to get is to get an X-ray. Uh, and upload it, and the hand surgeon will respond to you within a few hours. That's really impressive. I could really see it. I really envision it with rural communities or even overseas and third world countries where obviously primary care physicians um, predominate and specialists are extremely low yeah. uh, in, in population. So, yep. Now, this company um, with Reno as well as with Rubicon MD, did you have any thoughts of creating something like this while you were in medical school or even before, or did this all come about, um, no, you know, afterwards? No, not at all. Um, okay. I, I didn't even realize that I have an entrepreneurial fiber in me until, uh, until a few years ago. You know, I went through medical school completely, um, uh, you know, naive to uh, <laughs> to uh, what was out there, what were the, the the opportunities as a physician in my mind? Saving a patient, one, saving 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 the world one patient at a time. Exactly right. right? That's a, what a lot of us go into medicine for. And then uh, I got turned on by 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 science uh, uh, and also technology. And so a lot of my research was around um, uh, translational research, the use of lasers, uh, uh, vascular biology. Um, and so that was interesting, but, um, I, uh, it, w- when, when things became challenging as I was progressing in my, in my career, um, and when I had to decide, um, what track I was going to, uh, to go, whether I was staying in academia or, or, uh, which is a very, uh, 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 challenging environment or whether I was going to, to practice, uh, uh, you know, pure medicine or clinical medicine. Um, that's when I, 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 I took a kind of a deep look at, at the, the things that, uh, really motivated me. And I realized that everything I had done until then had been very entre- entrepreneurial in nature. Um, I'm always very interested in, being the first to build something, to do something that's slightly unique or different from what the others are, are doing. Um, I've never been interested in, in taking a database and looking at it at a different angle. Um, for me, it's always been about, um, let's come up with a, a completely random hypothesis something that makes sense, obviously, uh, and just let's explore that further and see whether we can find a signal from, from, from the noise. Um, and I really, that's, that's why I went into the entrepreneurial journey that I did is because um, I think because I was attracted to the idea that, uh, very few people had done that at that time, at least around me. Uh, it turns out that now I've met a lot of physician entrepreneurs who've been very successful over the past many decades, but, um, there are. Uh, kind of in hiding. Uh, you have to, yeah. That's what I was going to ask yeah. you. I was like, how did you find these people? Because it seems like they're few and far between, or is it mainly because you're in a large academic arena or area that you're finding them? Yeah, no, I, I, I struggled. I, I, I didn't have any mentorship, really. Um, mm-hmm. And this was five, six years ago in Boston, where there is a lot of innovation happening. Um, I just felt that uh, the typical archetypes where people who are in academia and, you know, they may sometimes be consultants or work with um, other companies out there, but really no one who was really kind of a raw uh, founder, like a uh, like an entrepreneur, someone who would just take an idea and just 
kind of go out there, hustle and, and build it from scratch. Uh, I met very few people like that. Um, it turns out there are tons of them on the West coast, uh, you know, around the, you know, in the Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley, yeah. yeah. There are a lot of physicians out there who are involved in technology. Um, what you do see a lot, though, are, are physicians who are advisors um, or investors in early stage uh, companies. But with the explosion of technology um, and social networks and, and social media over the past decade or so, um, you're seeing more and more uh, physicians who are interested in taking uh, that path. Now, what about the other side? Did you have um, detractors, maybe people within your own department, friends, um, other physicians who just um, couldn't see basically the proof of concept who were detracting towards your your idea? Yeah, you'll always find those people. I tend to associate myself with people who are positive, both in my personal and and professional life anyway. So maybe Mm -hmm. maybe there are more of of the detractors out there, but I tend not to... uh, I tend not to uh, to be around that that negativity, anyways. Um, you know, I, I I I've noticed a lot, and this is one of the reasons why I left academia is because um, few years, starting a few years ago, um, there was definitely a strong push uh, from the leadership in many of the academic institutions and you know, almost nationally uh, for for innovation. There was kind of the buzzword of the day. Uh, they wanted to see more. Uh, physicians being um, innovators and entrepreneurs even, but um, somehow innovation um, dies off in middle management. Uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. you, you get, tell me about yeah, it. you get the, the leadership, to, uh, you know, encouraging you and encouraging that, that, that notion, but then uh, you get very few resources and clearly no budget. And the other thing that, that really, um, uh, uh, challenges uh, the pursuit of entrepreneurship is uh, the fact that uh, we still have somewhat rudimentary uh, conflict of interest policies um, that are not uh, really encouraging uh, participation in in the startup ecosystem. In other words, uh, if you are an academic, then you are, and this is extreme, but you know, you know, uh, with some gradients in there. Uh, but if you're an academic, then you're not allowed to be uh, uh, like an entrepreneur. You're not allowed to associate yourself to a company out there. And this has stemmed from, I think, the uh, the friction uh, that's that's existed for many years between the, uh, uh, the influence of pharma and how, uh, at least I should say, how pharma influences uh, decision-making for physicians. Uh, but I feel that with... Um, Digital health, it's slightly different, though. You're, more bu- you're building tools uh, rather than being influenced by, uh, by technology. So I, I'm, I'm starting to notice organizations and institutions that are changing or tweaking their policies somewhat to allow for physicians to have a little bit more leeway to, uh, to be entrepreneurs. Hmm. Now, take us through a typical day for you. What's it like waking up as Julian Fahm? How do you, like, what's, you, you go, are you going into an office? Are you working from home? Um, yeah. Take us through a, a, a typical day for you. So uh, some days I work from home. I actually find myself to be very uh, efficient at home. Um, I, ha- I have a corner office uh, and that helps. Uh, but the typical days, I, I tend to wake up very early, uh, sometimes 5.30, 6 a.m. Uh, it's just a a clinical habit, I, I suppose, uh, <laughs> and then I uh, I go through what's what's happening in the news. Um, I have certain uh, media sources that I, I like to check. Um, I also check my 
my email, make sure that there are no um, major issues with uh, you know, with the company, Rubicon MD. Uh, because I'm the chief medical officer, my, my main responsibilities um, are one to uh, build and grow the network of specialists. Um, so I've built a virtual hospital across the country. We now have 150 specialists uh, across 100 plus specialties and subspecialties. Uh, and they're all uh, what you call 1099. So they're all kind of, you know, part of the gig, hey. kind of part, part <laughs> of the, part of the gig economy. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and they're a phenomenal group. Uh, it's a very unique um, network and it's probably the, um, the, uh, the, 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 I would say if, if, if I were to leave a legacy, that would be, that would be it. It's this network. It's, uh, it's, I really feel it's one of the strongest network, um, of, of specialists uh, out there. Um, I mean, I'm on your website and I'm looking at, I mean, it's a pretty comprehensive list of specialties. I mean, right. from allergy and immunology to nutrition, yep. to general surgery, to surgical oncology, psychiatry, yep. rheumatology. I mean, you're covering the entire gamut of, of medicine, basically. Right. And uh, I, I did this uh, uh, with a lot of uh, a purpose. Um, I, I essentially told myself, uh, you know, what would it take to replicate um, access uh, for a, um, an area that does not have access? Like, what would I want to see in a, uh, in a virtual hospital, essentially? And so I've, I've um, deliberately built this with um, a lot of depth, uh, but also a lot of uh, breadth and a lot of duplication of specialties so that we can uh, be uh, get only, not only high-quality responses from you know, well-trained clinicians, but also uh, have enough duplication in specialties and some specialties in order to, uh, uh, to cover everything. Do you have a, uh, a, a start time in mind? Does the company plan to start pretty soon or...? Uh, what do you mean for like, um, actually start taking referrals and, and, um, from primary care physicians or are you already doing it? Oh yeah. We've been doing this for, for three years. We've, uh, we've, we've done, um, about 5,000 cases now. Uh, we are in, uh, 26 or 27 States, uh, working with, um, small clinics, uh, groups of clinics that are either, um, in the same geography or across, uh, a part of organizations that are across multiple states. Uh, we are with um, uh, the correctional healthcare space, so uh, working with uh, Department of Corrections and prisons. Um, we're working with uh, safety net uh, organizations, and we're working with health plans. Wow. Wow. Now, why do you think... Um more physicians aren't doing things like this. Cause I, I, I know you say there's, you found a network of physicians who think like you, who are very like-minded. Um, but you know, I can tell you from my experience and it's all anecdotal and majority of physicians don't think like you. Why, why do you think physicians in general don't think this way? Do you think we're trained not to think this way or do you think it's something more granular? I, I would challenge that notion. Actually, uh, I would hmm. say that a, a lot more physicians think uh, like we do. Uh, it's just that uh, part of our training, part of our training suppresses that, um, and therefore you um, act a certain way. But um, I have conversations. One of my favorite things to do throughout uh, the week is to have regular uh, rendezvous or little <laughs> coffee meetings with uh, physician innovators or uh, founders or pe- people in medicine who are creative. And I think there's so much creativity um, in our field. Uh, at least in our workforce, um, 
but uh, there are very few outlets. Uh, so, like, think about it. If even when you do research, you have to be very creative to to be able to come up with different hypotheses or different ways to, uh, you know, to 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 do an experiment or to spin something. Um, and uh, it's not just rational, r- rationale. And um, uh, and so I I, I think that. Um, uh, I think there's there's a new breed of of, of physicians out there, uh, not necessarily younger physicians. Uh, I've seen people who are um, older than me and much older than me, even uh, who are very very creative and very entrepreneurial, uh, but just don't have outlets to uh, uh, or resources to to do um, what needs to be done. Hmm. Now, what's your advice for pre-med students, med students, or even just doctors who are out there who they're listening to this and they they're getting inspired by what you're saying, but don't know how to start. What, what, what can you impart on them? Yeah. Um, find mentors. Um, mm, yeah, it's uh, real important. Yeah. Tack yourself, uh, to people who are actually doing things. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, medical students, um, are in medical school because they are very smart, uh, and, uh, uh, very accomplished, um, and are able to, to get things done. Um, my, 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 my manifesto really, uh, over the past few years has been to, uh, to, to share with people, to, to show people that uh, there are a lot of parallels between, uh, medical training and, uh, entrepreneurial training. Um, in the, you know, the first year of your startup, uh, you are you know, running around with your, um, you know, head on fire, just in the same way as, <laughs> as, uh, as an intern, really. And, right. uh, uh, really not knowing what's happening, but just doing the right thing uh, to get on to the next day and making sure that nobody dies <laughs> in the ICU, right? right. And so mm-hmm. um, as an entrepreneur, it's a little bit like that as well. Uh, in the beginning, you're not really sure what your product is. You kind of have a, an idea of what your market is. Um, you've been able to sell to like one, two customers, but you know, you're, you, know, you lose sleep every day because you want them to, uh, to renew the contract. And therefore, you need to be able to, to do a really good job to uh, you know, make sure that you don't kill the contract. So there are a lot of parallels in, in the way we think about uh, the practice of medicine uh, but, and also the, the practice of entrepreneurship. And as you progress, um, I feel in entrepreneurship, and again, I'm, I'm at an early stage. I mean, it's not like I'm a seasoned entrepreneur or anything like that, but I'm just making observations. And I see so many parallels. Um, after a while, you're starting to build your network. You feel more com- confident and comfortable with your knowledge and your ability to be a leader. Um, and to make important decisions. And it's the same uh, for medicine and it's the same for entrepreneurship. And uh, eventually you get to a point where um, you're the attending or maybe um, a thought leader uh, in that space and you're making, you know, you're seeing trends and you're directing people to, uh, to the right things and you don't have to think twice about something because you've seen it before or you've done it mm-hmm. before. Um, so uh, I, would, I would encourage um, um, uh, medical students should not be afraid uh, of entrepreneurship. Uh, there's always this concern about making the leap, and I think it's very, very important uh, that you don't, yeah. you know, uh, jeopardize your training. And so I tell I tell students that they need to finish some kind of clinical training. Uh, they don't have to go very, very far um, if what they're more passionate about is uh, the world of startups or entrepreneurship. Um, but they need to have some kind of clinical training because it doesn't just give you credibility in the eyes of your peers, 
but it really changes your life. It changes the way you, you, um, you approach certain situations and it, it, it teaches you empathy as well, which is extremely important when you are uh, building a business and, uh, and caring for, for customers. Um, so finish your training, um, uh, find a mentor and uh, don't be afraid of, of entrepreneurship as something completely different. It's, it's really the same process. Uh, it's just in a different way. Uh, so if you succeed as a medical student, um, then uh, there are strong chances that you will succeed um, as a, at least as an early stage entrepreneur. You know, I never looked at it that way. I, I think I appreciate and I think the audience is going to appreciate you drawing the parallels between medical school training, which obviously is very familiar to us, as well as, you know, comparing that to starting a, a startup, basically. Um, and with that being said, let me, I want to ask you this question. I want you to be honest. Um, with, it seems like now you are, um, you're, you're, you're three years into this. You're catching your stride. If you had the opportunity to go back and just practice full time, would you do it? Um, could you do it? Um, could I do it? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Would I do it? No. Uh, okay. I think I've realized that um, what drives me in life is uh, meaning. Um, I want a life where I can have impact um, and I can do that, uh, you know, being a really good physician or, or a, a, a built, you know, creating impact in a different way. Um, but I also really value autonomy and I, I value my freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that is very rare to have when you're practicing medicine, 100%. I know how you feel. Yeah. I know how you feel. Yeah. yeah. And even now with, with Rubicon MD, as we're bringing in investors and the company is getting bigger, I'm getting, you know, slightly less excited about it um, because um, I'm always, I think I'm more of, a, of an early stage kind of guy. Um, you know, I, 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 I usually make the metaphor of the, uh, uh, of the rocket uh, launch pad. You know, I'm, I'm the rocket in the bottom. I, 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 lo- no, I, I like the idea of, of lifting the whole thing up and then just come off and, and let the rocket continue on. And that's, that's, I think that's the kind of person that I am. Um, and I'm also very much into uh, deep relationships. Uh, and so it, it's, um, uh, it's important for me to, uh, uh, to be able to, to connect with a, with a broader network and not just with a network of, of clinicians. And so uh, this is something that um, I think I will continue doing uh, for as long as I can. Uh, and I would be satisfied if I spent, let's say, one half day a week in clinic or something like that, or continue to moonlight and do one weekend a month, or maybe a couple weekends a month. I think I'd be very happy with that. Now, we, we appreciate, I appreciate you being honest about that answer. And that's a great segue now to my next question, which is, where do you see yourself? Where do you see Rubicon? Well, actually, no, let's go back. Where do you see yourself in five years? Hmm. Um, so uh, I will probably be uh, running another company, to be honest. Mm, yes, really? Yes. Um, wow, okay. So I have a few ideas. Uh, um, and uh, um, uh, We won't steal your ideas. You make <laughs> us all sign a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. But uh, again, one thing that I'm very passionate about is about the, uh, um, our vocation. Uh, as medicine. I, I take it very, very seriously. My, my father was a physician before me, and so am I. Um, and, um, I hate to, to watch, um, uh, physicians, um, be, uh, 
less respected than than they used to. Um, I don't want this profession. It's it's a very noble profession. It's a very unique profession when you you create phenomenal uh, links and relationships with with peers and colleagues and with patients. Uh, there's no other profession out there that's like medicine, and I would hate for it to just get automated or to it for it to become just another administrative role. And so I fight. Um, I fight very hard to um, to um, maybe become an inspiration for other people to, to go out there and, and build their own careers as physician entrepreneurs. I really think that it's, it's the future of medicine. It's we need to find, we need to, 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 to find those, those physicians who are capable of, of building something that has a greater impact um, and uh, doing it at scale. And so it's, um, uh, you know, I, I, in the next five, 10 years, I really want to push this from a, from a, societal standpoint from a community standpoint uh, but also uh, for myself to uh, and again it, it goes back to uh, to my initial mission is you know you're only as important as the impact you have in others and so absolutely i want to make sure that I'm, I'm just a catalyst to people like you and and your peers who are uh, a tad younger to be able to go out there and feel conf- confident to uh, to build your own companies sign me up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sign me up i'm already down <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We're, we're, we're getting towards the end of the interview and, um, you know, I want to hit you off with some quick, fast questions sure. and um, whatever comes off the top of your mind, um, feel free to answer them. Um, so the first one is, um, what's one thing you want physicians to get from this podcast? Um, uh, I'd like them to, to feel uh, more confident uh, that uh, one, they're more creative than uh, society um, uh, that's them to be, and uh, and that uh, there are many opportunities for them to participate in uh, in startups. Okay, so as you know, um, I, and you've done a couple of podcasts in the past, or more than a couple of podcasts in the past. In order for um, the host to kind of get to know you, he's going to have to, or he or she's going to have to do some stalking. <laughs> so I had to stalk you, Uh-oh. and uh, I found out that you are of Vietnamese origin. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So very good. So um, you st- it looks like it looks as though you started a um, uh, or you worked with a Vietnam health clinic, yep. um, which was founded by students back at University of Washington. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So the next question, I think I've given you a bunch of softballs. I'm going to give you a tough question. So I want to know um, what do you find more rewarding, being the founder, the founder of uh, Reno, um, the founder of Rubicon, or volunteering in Vietnam? practicing medicine in the United States. Basically, it's, it's a clinical versus entrepreneur versus humanitarian type question. Oh, man, that, that is a tough question, especially because you, you, you're asking the, the most rewarding experience. It's like M&M. <laughs> it's, uh, it, I think it's really about the experience. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat a little bit and say that uh, I have many answers. One is the... Um, the one-to-one experience, there's nothing more special uh, and more humbling than having a patient in front of you, um, you know, telling you everything about their life, their health, their secrets. That's a very, very unique experience, and I, I, would, I would not lose that for the world. That's why I continue to practice medicine. It's important to me. It may not be as important for some other people, but I, I know to me it is. And I, I want to continue having some kind of patient contact. Um, but in, in terms of rewarding um, you know, I think, I think it's fair for people to, uh, uh, 
to evolve through their life and through their careers. Um, they can't always like the same food. They can't always like the same experiences. And for me, um, I think the experience that I'm in right now, uh, what really rocks my boat um, is um, entrepreneurship uh, because um, I get to learn every day. Um, whereas I, th- I felt like in clinical medicine, I was still learning every day, but not at the same pace. Um, and, um, and so I would say that the most rewarding uh, experience for me right now is um, not necessarily one startup or another, um, but uh, it's uh, the, the whole uh, experience of entrepreneurship and, and learning every day. Real talk. Now, who's someone that you admire? Hmm. Uh, that's another tough uh, question. Um, I don't, I've never really admired anyone. Um, I've, you know, I have people that truly inspire me. Um, but to the point of, how about, how about that one? Yeah. How about that one? Yes. What, who, who inspires you? Uh, so my, my, uh, my, uh, meditation, um, kind of mentor guru, I say, um, I, I was very lucky. I mean, meditation these days and, and mindfulness is like a super hot trendy thing, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so absolutely. I, I was lucky. That I started doing that, uh, literally like 25 years ago. Um, uh, when I was a kid, my parents, dragged me against my will to this uh to this buddhist meditation camp for the summer it was just like a fun camp with a bunch of other kids and a bunch of uh, other vietnamese families and for them it was more a way to reintroduce me to my vietnamese culture uh, something i was very much against when i was young uh, which is not the case now but um out of that really blossomed this uh, uh this um like interest for 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 meditation and mindfulness and uh it, it really was somewhat of a foundation of the person that i am uh and the person that inspired me the most was uh my um my meditation uh, uh mentor uh Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a, a, a vietnamese buddhist monk so i went to his uh buddhist camp called plum village uh in the uh south uh, southwest of France and uh, I've gone back multiple times and uh, uh, you know his words and his writing really um, influence have influenced me over the years you know I think just like what you said about meditation being a really hot, to- hot topic I mean it's extremely helpful from you know what I've you know what I've seen and I've I've started to practice it mm-hmm. I mean and although you know, I've just recently started practicing it and I'm not on the level as you, um, you know, I find it to be extremely helpful. Yeah. Um, and in what we do, which is extremely stressful, I think it could be something that other physicians can do, um, particularly those who are in very stressful uh, specialties. Yeah. Um, can you describe or can you explain um, just a little bit about your, your rituals without, you know, giving us too much um, personal stuff, but just, you know, something that you can impart on the audience, some uh, meditation rituals that you do um, that helps you get through today. Yeah. So there, there are two types of things that I do. Um, so one is the uh, meditation in group. Uh, I think it's important to be part of what's called the Sangha, which is a meditation community. And it doesn't have to be a huge group. Um, the, the Sangha that I go to uh, once a week uh, maybe has you know, eight to 10 people who attend, um, not even regularly, but they attend. It's nice to be able to, to be around these people. So for some reason, there's a different kind of energy there. 
um, knowing that other people are doing certain things. And then we also uh, talk um, and uh, you hear about other people's struggles and concerns and it, it helps alleviate your own concerns to see that other people have their own problems as well. So that's one thing. The other thing mm-hmm. that is a little bit more personal is my own uh, meditation practice. And, and it's not something, it's something that uh, you can, you really need to spend what, 10, 15 minutes on um, uh, regularly. Uh, some people do it daily. Some people do it a few times a week, but um, it's simple. You put yourself in a quiet environment. Um, you know, I like to face um, a wall um, uh, and get in a position that's comfortable. And you don't have to be seated with your, uh, uh, you know, with your with your feet under under yourself. It, it gets pretty painful. I mean, you can even you can sit on a chair. You can lie down. You can do whatever you want. You can be on a couch. Um, and then you uh, uh, recenter yourself. Um, you start. Uh, focusing on on the uh, expansion um, of your um, abdomen as you breathe, and then slowly you really uh, hear your own breathing. Um, and then the, the the one part that's a little bit challenging for people who are beginning is uh, they get concerned about the thoughts that cross their mind, and it's a very natural thing to do. You will always have thoughts. It is. It's very rare to get to a point where you don't think about anything anymore. You're, and so, you're talking about me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. That's <how> I, <laughs> and, so, and so then they start focusing on those thoughts and try to find ways to chase those thoughts. But you should, right. just, you should, you should just let it be um, uh, and just kind of continue to focus on your stomach and on your breathing. And eventually the thoughts just kind of go away um, and you will think of something else. And as you practice, and it's like everything, right? It, it requires practice. Um, as you practice, uh, as you practice, you just become more um, comfortable with that. You're able to center yourself and, and, uh, uh, and feel more calm. And mm. I think to me, what this brings me the most when I do it on a more regular basis is clarity of my mind. Um, I come out of these sessions or multiple sessions uh, and I just feel my mind is so much clearer. The things that used to concern me are just so much less important now. And uh, with a clear mind, um, it fights burnout. It um, you know, fights stress. Uh, you just feel better. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. Thank you very much for sharing that, yeah. that you truly are a doc outside the box. <laughs> uh, seriously. Yeah. Now, our, our last question um, this is a statement that I present to all of my guests. It's a hashtag that I want you to complete. Um, started off on Twitter and um, got some virality to it. And I decided to add it as, you know, the last part of, of the podcast. And um, it starts, I'm not just a doc. I'm a, and then I ask my guests to finish it. So I present that question to you, Dr. Fahm. I'm not just a doc. I'm a architect. Wow. 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 Profound. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Now, when I end my shows, I always um, acknowledge my guests. And I got this idea from um, Lewis Howes. Are you familiar with him? Mm -mm. No. He's a podcaster, um, author. Um, He was a former athlete and he got hurt in the semi-pro football leagues. And um, from there, kind of just worked himself um, pulled himself up by the bootstraps and started, you know, really making a name for himself in LinkedIn and then eventually started um, interviewing very famous people 
uh, on their daily rituals on his podcast and then eventually wrote a book. Uh-huh. Um, but at the end of his podcast, what he does is he acknowledges his guests for the things that they've accomplished. And I, I find that to be very pr- pr- profound. And the reason why I do that on my show is I think one thing that's lacking in medicine is just appreciation, not just for self and what we do for our patients on a daily basis, but just an appreciation for our coworkers and our colleagues. You know, right. you know we, we every time we go, you know, through the hospital or go through a daily schedule, it just seems like we're always berating each other, whether it's through an M&M, um, whether it's through, you know, daily consultation. So for me, this is a way of just paying it forward. Yep. And I want to just take the opportunity just to acknowledge you for being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah, um, great. You mentioned the impact of disrupting th- disruptive thinking and technology and the practice of medicine. And I, I want to acknowledge you for embracing that in a time when we know that, and you mentioned this earlier in the show, that dogma still is holding back medicine yeah. in, in many ways. And um, I also want to congratulate you. I know you, you and your company, Rubicon, released the information today, but I wanted to congratulate you all in securing tons of, of money um, for further development and research um, for your company. So um, thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Pham. Uh, congratulations. You truly are a doc outside the box. And thank you very much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap. Another episode is officially over. Here on Docs Outside the Box, you can't say I don't give the people what they want. I even gave you meditation now on the episode. So um, tell me what you think about that. Um, I'd like to get your feedback. Remember, you can always reach me at Twitter or on Twitter at DocsOTB, as well as through Facebook um, or even through my email at DocsOTB at gmail.com. So please listen, if you are finding value in these podcasts, remember to please subscribe, please share. Uh, Remember, I'm on iTunes, I'm on Google Play, I'm on Stitcher Radio. And the comments, the feedback, whether it's good, whether it's bad, um, listen to me, it's really appreciated, Um, especially the comments on iTunes, because the comments and the reviews helps me move up the news and noteworthy um, list and it helps the podcast to grow further. And as a matter of fact, I am going to read some of the comments either on iTunes or through the website. So give me a second. I'm going to bring it up. So one comment on iTunes is from Dr. Pierre. And he says, as a newly minted physician, this podcast is really refreshing to see that we don't all have to follow the quote unquote traditional route. I am a new listener, but I'm going back to listen to all of them. Thank you. And I think Dr. Pierre hit me up on Twitter also saying that he was getting rid of his whole life uh, cash value plan. So way to go, Dr. Pierre. Also, another iTunes review is from Dr. Chris. He says, Dr. Darko has had some excellent interviews on his podcast. All of his information is extremely important. This is the information we should all be learning in medical school as well as residency. Thank you, Dr. Darko, for all your hard work and dedication to the field of medicine. Hey, Dr. Chris, I do what I do. (laughs) No, but for real, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This is a labor of love. So I'm glad that you're finding value in this podcast. And then another one from Shireen. She left a message on the website and says, this podcast was great and affirmed that that I am in the right track. I wish someone informed me about money when I started medical school. It took me until fellowship to figure it out. Hey, it's never too late. I'm glad you've you found this podcast. I'm glad it's helping you. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're finding value. So please go out and share with others. So 
that's about it, guys. Hey, listen, and I know some people out there are thinking that I'm only going to read, you know, really good comments or really good feedback. Trust me, I'm really serious about it. Bad feedback, good feedback, all of it is is equal in my eyes. It really helps the show to grow. So if you have something that is some constructive constructive uh, feedback to send my way, I'll be happy to to take a look at it. I'll be happy to to reassess it. And you never know, I may read it. Um, so look, this show is already getting long enough. Let's end this show. But always remember, everyone, to live outside the box. 